Galatians 2, 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, Lauren. All right. Let's ask God for his help here as we look to this passage. God, we do thank you for the chance to be together, and we thank you for making yourself known to us in this passage. Help us to know how it is that we can be made right with you, and help us to know what it means, therefore, to be part of your family, God. And we pray for your help in applying these things together as a church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Carrie and I celebrated a 10-year anniversary uh, this past week. It was wonderful. It was a great day. Thank you very much. I wasn't wasn't fishing for that, but thank you. It was a great day. Um, We spent a lot of time looking back on pictures, uh, family pictures, over the last decade. And it was really neat to just sort of zoom out and watch as God built our family in the way that he has Uh, Of course, we looked back on pictures that helped us to remember what life was like before we had any kids. Uh, And then, as soon as we got to the month they were born, of course, there, there they were, right? And our family pictures and our family changed forever when they were born into it. We were able to remember and and just appreciate that. And then just last night, we had dinner with Carrie's parents, and her mom said something really sweet to me. She said, hey, congratulations. It has been so great to have you in our family these last days. 10 years, and that really meant a ton to hear my mother-in-law say that. And this anniversary in particular, and all anniversaries really, but this one made me realize that, you know, most days our lives are pretty ordinary. Most of us and most of what we do is pretty not life-changing. It's just normal stuff, but every once in a while something happens and something, someone enters our family, whether it's a wedding or a birth, in our case, getting ready to adopt, and in one way or another, the addition of a new family member changes the family. It also changes us in profound ways. When we join a family, it really matters, and we always tend to remember how it happened. That's really what an anniversary is. Well, to start today, what I want to do is to recite the problem together. We've been doing this uh, that, that Paul wrote this letter to address. What was the problem in Galatia? Do you remember the Galatians were gathering Gentiles into, help me, the wrong family in the wrong way. That's right. Very good. We're getting it. 
And as we've already seen these past weeks, uh, this was a huge deal, Paul says, because in doing so, they were deserting God the Father, and they were distorting the gospel of his Son. In our passage today, Paul devotes all of his attention to defining the only way in to God's family. That's what we're here to talk about today, the how. How do we get into God's family? In last week's passage, Paul showed us why we cannot both please men and be servants of Christ. And if you remember why, it's because the gospel that pleases God, this good news of his crucified son, it often displeases men. And so if we want to be servants of Christ, then uh, we will have to be willing to displease some men. And if we want to please men, then we really won't be servants of Christ. And, and, and that passage last week was really building up to sort of an object lesson, a really clear illustration of this. And it's the story of Paul opposing Peter to his face in front of the church there in Antioch. Because at first, when, when Peter got to the church in Antioch, he was eating with everyone including his Gentile brothers and sisters. But then when a group of Jewish believers came, he stopped eating with them. And it says he even drew back and separated himself. And because Peter feared the circumcision party and because he wanted to please those men, he acted out of step with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is to say he was not being a servant of Christ, at least in that moment. In fact, Paul says that Peter and the other Jews in this church who acted in this way, they acted not only mean or rude, but hypocritically, right? And in verse 14, if you look back with me at Galatians chapter 2, 14, we even saw that Paul called Peter out for his hypocrisy very publicly. And here's how he did it. He said to him, Peter, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew... How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, by avoiding these Gentile brothers and sisters, Peter was acting, again, not just unwise and not just rude. He was acting hypocritically because he was acting as if he belonged in God's family in a way that his Gentile brothers and sisters did not. Well, Peter, or Paul rather, here explains why Peter was being so hypocritical in doing that. And here he's also going to tell us why that was such a huge deal. Now, Paul makes his uh, point pretty clear right away here in verses 15 and 16. And so first what I want to do is just look at those two verses together, verse 15 and 16. So Bible's open if you don't have them open, Galatians 2, 15 to 16. And then when we see Paul's point here, when we see his claim, we're going to use the rest of the passage to help us apply it together. So I'm going to focus in on 15 and 16 now, chapter 2, 15 and 16. Paul starts and says, we ourselves are Jews by birth. Now, when he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth, he is talking still about this interaction with Peter. It's himself and Peter are Jews by birth. They were Jews by birth and not, he says, Gentile sinners. Now, there's a lot of things scholars disagree about in the book of Galatians. It's actually really interesting. One thing most of them agree on, by and large, is that these churches in Galatia were made up almost exclusively of Gentiles. And so, it almost seems as if Paul is kind of using an ethnic slur here when he calls them Gentile sinners. 
But we have to remember, he just called out Peter, actually, for what? For living like a Gentile and not like a Jew. He basically just called Peter a Gentile sinner. And so chances are Paul is referring to the Gentiles here as Gentile sinners in order to kind of drive home his point, which is basically that even those of us who are Jews by birth, we are a lot like those Gentile sinners. Paul's point in this section is that not even Jews are justified into God's family by living like Jews. Not even them. Look with me at verse 16. He says, yet we know, that is we as Jews by birth, we who are not Gentile sinners, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, by works of the law, Paul's referring to obedience to the Old Testament law that God gave to the nation of Israel. He's talking about the law that God gave to Moses even at Mount Sinai for the people of Israel. This is really important in the whole point of the scope of the book because circumcision was the sign that welcomed a person into the nation of Israel. It set them apart, in a sense, from the Gentile world as descendants of Abraham and as members of God's covenant family who, at least in that day, were expected to live under the Old Testament law. Now, that was true. And Paul, of all people, would have known this very well. But what he's saying here is, that, is listen, that may have been the case, but that was never God's plan to justify us. Now that God has sent us his son, he is creating a whole new family that even we as Jews, we need to join, we need to get into, and there's only one way in. Which is why he says next, so we also, again, we as Jews by birth, have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And in case that wasn't clear enough, he says this in the most universal possible way. He says, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Not Gentiles, not even Jews. Everyone has to be justified in the exact same way, and no one will be justified by obeying the Old Testament law. Now, that word justified, we really have to define. It's basically a legal term, and it means to be declared righteous. In this case, it means to be put in right relationship with God. Think of a defendant who's on trial, and they're declared not guilty, right? What does that mean? It means that the threat of punishment is removed from them. It means that they're on good terms with the authority. It means that they no longer have to fear the consequence of the law in that case. And, and here's the point, is that Jews should not assume that they have that justification. They should not assume that they have this right standing with God just because they were born into his old covenant family, just because they're literal descendants of Abraham. And Paul's saying, of all people, we, we should know that God has always carried out his redemptive plan in this way, as, as Carl pointed out in our call to worship. It's always been by faith, ever since the very beginning. This is Paul's claim. It's that God justifies all of us into his family the same way as by faith in his crucified son. Now, the truth is, we will never really understand why Peter was being hypocritical unless we understand this. 
Turns out he was hypocritical because he was justified into God's family in the exact same way that all of his Gentile brothers and sisters were. He was justified by faith in Christ alone, but he was acting, again, as if he was part of God's family in a way that his Gentile brothers and sisters were not. Because he was a descendant of Abraham. He was circumcised, and he lived under the Old Testament law, at least, you know, when his Jewish friends were around. And this shows us that in Paul's mind, to be a part of God's family was much more than just a social thing, much more than even just a religious thing that we do in the visible world. No, it requires a real spiritual transformation within us. And that transformation is faith in God's crucified son, Jesus. That faith is what leads to justification, and everyone must be justified in that same way, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. It's necessary for everyone. As I mentioned last week, we have to understand this would have been very unintuitive for any Jew in the first century. Uh, In many ways, it would have felt to them like like they were doing it wrong, may have even felt like they were dishonoring God in this because for the entire history of Israel, they were supposed to be separated from the Gentile world. And, And obedience to the law is how they were separated and distinct from the Gentile world. And so it is at least understandable that many Jews would have had some serious questions about this whole gospel of Jesus Christ thing. And in many cases, even objections that would have to be overcome in order for them to believe in the gospel. And chances are, what was happening here is these Jewish objections to the gospel were making their way even into Gentile churches. Through outside, in this case, missionary groups of Jewish Christians who were causing confusion and trouble for these Gentile believers, which is why next Paul tries to address one of these objections. In verse 17, Paul is stating and then he's sort of refuting an objection to what he's just said about justification. He phrases their objection in this way. He says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, Is Christ then a servant of sin? And he answers the objection right away. He says, certainly not. Certainly not. I want to be really honest. um, It is a little bit challenging to interpret that sentence right there. And it's mostly because uh, Paul is rephrasing someone else's objection. And all we really know about their objection is what he says about it here. And so, of course, there are a few slightly different theories as to the details of this specific objection. Here's my best sense of how Paul seemed to think the Galatians might object to what he's trying to teach them. He probably would have anticipated that in response to what he just said, they would have replied, okay, okay, I get it. We have to be justified by faith in Christ to get into God's family. But what if once people are justified by faith, they keep sinning, right? How can we keep people from sinning if none of us are living under the law anymore? Do you see that? Not to mention, more importantly, they would have said, if Jesus died to set us free from the law and then we keep breaking the law, well, isn't he kind of giving us permission to sin? Wouldn't that make him a servant of sin? So if you had to kind of distill this down into one sentence, it seems to me their objection was this. Do we need to live under the law, don't we rather, don't we need to live under the law to stay justified? 
Paul's answer to this is very clear. He says again, certainly not. And then he devotes the rest of this passage to explaining why. And he gives us three reasons why. That is, no, certainly not. Again, no, we do not have to live under the law to be justified. And no, by setting us free from the law, Christ has not become a servant of sin. And so what I want to do is just, for the rest of our time, explain the three reasons he gives us as to why. And then as I explain each of them, we'll we'll pause briefly and consider what this means for us today. Okay? So here's why, according to Paul, no one needs to live under the Old Testament law to stay justified. The first reason is this, is that faith in Christ demands that we be crucified with him. I love this. This is so pivotal to Paul's theology, I'm convinced. I want you to notice that for Paul, the Jewish man he used to be back when he was a Pharisee, a Jew living under the Old Testament law, that man had not just been changed or improved. He was actually crucified with Christ. It was no longer that Paul who lived. That Paul died to the law altogether. His life was ended so that he might live to God. And his point here is that that is true for anyone who is justified by faith in Christ. We have to be crucified with Christ. One scholar puts it this way. I love this. He says, "For faith for Paul is a death experience, a death that creates life. And so one reason we do not need the law to keep us justified is that we're already dead. We have admitted defeat. We could never have kept the law in our flesh, which is why we needed God's Son, Christ, to come in the flesh, to keep the law for us, and to die in our place. And since he has, Paul is saying, for those of us who have faith in him, it's as if our sinful life in the flesh is over. We have died. Now, of course, Paul is talking about a spiritual kind of death. I mean, he is writing a letter. He wouldn't be writing a letter if he was physically dead. Uh, But more than that, notice he even says right here, the life I now live in the flesh. So he, he knows he's alive. He has a body that eats and sleeps and breathes, But he is now living that physical life by the spiritual power of Christ's resurrected life. And here's the point. To do that, he had to tear down what he called last week his former life in Judaism. He had to crucify it. Which is why he says in verse 18, If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, anyone who's still trying to live under the Old Testament law must not be dead in this way. If you crucify your flesh and then you try to rebuild it so that you can obey the law, you're not really a Christian at all, Paul's saying. In fact, you are proving you are still a transgressor. And here's why. This is huge. If you write something down, maybe write this today. In order to be justified for our transgressions, we have to be crucified with Christ. So here's the takeaway for us. We can't just sin less. We have to die with God's sinless son. The good news of this gospel is so scandalous. The truth is it actually makes some people very, very uncomfortable. 
Because I want to make sure I'm, I'm being clear about this. According to this message, no amount of sin can keep anyone from being justified. And no amount of obedience can actually justify them. Now, I just want to, that is an alarming claim. That is alarming. And for that reason, some people will just decide, oh, that, that, that can't possibly be. Right? How undignified that would be of God to do that. And that's basically what the Galatians would have said. This can't be a Messiah that sets us free from the law. He would be a servant of sin. It's very tempting for us to assume that if we're told we don't have to obey God to be made right with him, then we will never stop sinning. As if the only way to stop people from sinning is to promise them something really, really good and then withhold it from them if they sin. Like, you want to be part of God's family? You want to stay part of God's family? Better not sin, right? There we go. That'll do the trick, right? We like to think that this actually stops people from sinning. The problem is it, it doesn't. And it never has. God has always had a totally different plan to stop his people from sinning. God gives us the sacrificial death of his sinless son as a perfectly free gift to cover all of our sins. And he says, here you go. It's all yours, free of charge. But if you want it, you have to die with him. You have to admit that you deserved to die on that cross, and then you have to live as though you did. This is why Christ is not a servant of sin, by the way. And this is why the gospel does not enable anyone to sin. It's because if we really believe in Jesus, we will not use our faith as an excuse to keep sinning. We will live as though our sinful life in the flesh was ended the day that Christ was crucified. So do you see this? We do need to stop sinning. That really matters. And we can't just stop on our own. It's, it's not that simple. And so the only way to stop the sinful passions of our flesh is to crucify the life we live in the flesh. We have to die. And so I want to ask us this today. Is this how we are fighting sin in our lives? Are we fighting sin in our lives today by dying. It's amazing how natural it is to sin less when our lives do not matter most. And it's amazing how impossible it is to stop sinning when our lives are all that matter. And so in what ways do we need to let go of our life in the flesh so that we can actually live to God? Uh, maybe we need to let go of that dream of being revered and respected by everyone. Uh, maybe we need to let go of that hope that we can convince that one person to love us in the way we've always wanted and expected them to love us. Maybe we need to let go of our right to be treated well and to never be hurt by anyone. In fact, maybe it is that dream and that hope and this right that we think we have that actually leads us to sin. Maybe those are the very things we have to crucify. Now, I realize uh, that may sound like not very good news to some of you. Uh, to give up all your dreams and your hopes and, and your rights and, and to die, right? 
You might be thinking, well, what good would my life be if I gave up all my dreams and hopes and rights? And what am I going to do? Just let everybody trample on me? How, how is that going to go well? But remember, if there was ever a person who had every right to be revered and respected, loved and not abused, it was Christ. And yet he did not insist that we revere him, respect him, love him, or not abuse him. No, in fact, he loved us by letting us abuse him so that we can be justified as a free gift. And it was only after dying in that way that he rose again to eternal, everlasting life. And so, church, the truth is we cannot be justified. And we do not have faith in Christ unless we are willing to die in this way with him. Which means we stop acting as if we could ever have deserved to be part of God's family and we start living as if we have died on the day that Christ was crucified. This is the first reason we do not need the law to keep us justified. It's because those with faith in Christ have died to the law the day that Christ was crucified. Here's the second reason why. Number two, it's because faith in Christ leads to him living through us. Uh, if, if you are thinking that last point was a bit of a downer, if you're feeling very discouraged about all this talk of dying and being crucified with Christ, I do want to remind you, don't forget, he did come back from the dead. And the truth is we should be overjoyed to die in the way that Paul is talking about because that death is not the end of the story by any means. In fact, it's the beginning of a new and eternal life. And I want you to notice this eternal life is not just any new eternal life. It is the resurrected life of Christ himself living through us. This is Paul's own words. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And here's the point. That is a far greater solution to sin than telling sinners to kind of, you know, live under the law. The law will not stop anyone from sinning. If we want to stop sinning, we have to die so that God's sinless Son can live through us. That is our only hope of being justified. That is all we will ever need to stay justified because our justification does not depend on our life in the flesh at all. That life is gone. Our justification depends on Christ's life in the flesh, his resurrected eternal life in the flesh. So when Christ, when we trust rather in Christ, he doesn't just sort of help us out by kind of looking the other way and letting us in God's family. No, he actually lives through us so that his place in the family becomes our place in the family. And so here's the takeaway. We can't just obey more either. We need the life of God's obedient son. So maybe you're here today and maybe you are really discouraged by just ongoing patterns of sin or, or disobedience in your life. And, and they just seem... They seem insurmountable. You even want to obey God in this way, and it just seems like you can't do it. How could I ever be healed from the trauma I've experienced and stop trying to protect myself and, and ruining all my relationships in the process? 
How could I ever relinquish control of my life and start actually trusting that God will provide for me? How could I ever start to control my anger and stop flying off the handle every time I feel disrespected? Now, it just doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem possible. And this is the part of the sermon where some pastors might want to say to you, don't say that. It's not impossible. God believes in you. You can do this. Well, I have to tell you, I'm here to tell you a very different message than that today. Uh, And it may sound a bit peculiar today, but it's this. You can't do it. We can't do it. You're right. It, It is impossible. We will never heal our own trauma. We will never control our life, relinquish control of our lives. We will never curb our angry outbursts. You're right. We cannot and we will not ever do it. We have to die and rely on Christ alone so that he can do it through us. This is the only way we can be healed of our trauma and learn to stop self-protecting. First, we die. We give up any hope of healing ourselves. We admit we never could, and then we cling to the grace that Christ died to give us, even still, and he does it. We, we can't heal from our trauma. We never will. We have to die so that Christ can do it through us. Do you see that? This is how we relinquish control of our lives and start to trust that God will provide. First, we die. We give up any hope of controlling anything. We admit we never could. Then we cling to the grace that Christ died to give us even still, and he does it. We cannot relinquish control. We never will. We have to die so that Christ can do it through us. This is how we control our anger and stop flying off the handle. First, we die. We stop demanding that anyone respects us. We admit that we don't deserve their respect. And then we cling to the grace that Christ died to give us, even still, and he does it, church. We can't control our anger. We never will. We have to die so that Christ can do it through us. Our only hope of being justified is by dying and letting Christ live through us in this way. It's our only hope. And and for that reason, Uh, Because this is the only way, there is also one more reason we do not need the law. First, faith in Christ demands that we be crucified with Christ. Second, faith in Christ leads to him living through us. And finally, faith in anything else nullifies the grace of God's Son. It nullifies it. I have to tell you, I would not want to argue with Paul under any circumstance. (laughs) Um, He ends this argument with a death blow. I mean, this sentence is designed to raise all kinds of eyebrows and to end this whole debate over circumcising Gentiles. He says in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. (laughs) Okay, I think he's taking this pretty seriously. Maybe we should too. Uh, But clearly by claiming that he does not nullify the grace of God, Paul is implying that the Galatians were nullifying the grace of God, uh, along with Peter, at least in Antioch that day, and with anyone else who 
acts like you have to be circumcised into the nation of Israel and obey the Old Testament law to be justified. Preaching that gospel, Paul is saying, not only confuses or uh, minimizes God's grace. No, no, no. It nullifies it. Which means it, it cancels it out entirely as if it were completely irrelevant. There's no purpose to it. Why? Because if righteousness were through the law, then it's true. Christ died for no purpose. In other words, if we could just keep ourselves justified by obeying the Old Testament law in the first place, then we would not need the grace of God's crucified son, and we would already deserve to be part of his family. You see that? God's son did not have to die so that Gentiles could be circumcised into the nation of Israel and start obeying the law. No, God's son had to die because not even Jews can live like Jews in this way. All of us are in desperate need of this grace. And so I want us to see that if we try to obey God as if our obedience can keep us in his covenant family, the problem here is that we seem to think we are far more righteous and less sinful than God seems to think that we are. Because if he thought we could stay in the family by keeping the law, he would have had no good reason to send us his son to be crucified. But on top of that, we are also effectively spitting in the face of his crucified son because he did send him and he was crucified and he did rise from the dead and God did all of that so that we could be justified in the same way as a free gift. And meanwhile, here we are basically saying, Jesus, thank you very much for dying. It's very nice of you. But I, I can handle this. I can do it. I'm part of God's family. I'm a son of Abraham too. I was circumcised. I live under the law. No. No. There is only one son who deserves to be part of God's family. It's his crucified son, Jesus Christ. And our only hope of getting in is to be crucified with him and to live by faith in him. And for that reason, if we are relying on anything else than the grace of God's son, then we are nullifying the grace of God's son. And so this is our takeaway. We cannot help God justify us. We have to let his son do it all. We're going to sing in a minute, Jesus paid it all to close our service. Let's sing that with some gusto for this reason. It is so important for us to understand the theology of grace. That word grace just means a free gift. It means a gift that we are given without doing anything to earn or to deserve it. And in this case, there is nothing we do in the flesh. There's nothing like circumcision or obeying certain food laws that we have to do and to receive the gift. The way we receive it is to simply accept it by faith. In this case, it is to rely on the finished work of God's crucified son to justify us and nothing else. In order to be justified by God's grace, hear me, we have to stop trying to justify ourselves. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. But it's also important for us to understand why God insists on justifying everyone in this one way. Because, by the way, that, that is not arbitrary at all. Uh, this is not just some lofty theological debate. No, everything of the Christian faith, everything hangs on this truth right here. 
God wants to justify all of us in this way so that his crucified son gets all of the credit for justifying us, and we get none. That is God's plan of redemption. He wants to use his crucified son to restore every square inch of his creation. He wants to use his crucified son to fill all the earth with his glory finally and forever. He wants to use his crucified son to redeem people of all nations into one spiritual family so that for all of eternity we can behold his eternal resurrected son. We can look to him and we can say, he did it all. He did everything. Only God could create this family and redeem this creation by the power of that crucified son. And I, I'm just convinced Paul would say here, Jews of all people should be excited about this. Because it was their father Abraham who God promised to use to bless all the raging nations of the earth in this way to begin with. And as Carl again pointed out, the story of this family being used for God's purposes has always marched on through history by faith. This has always been about the promise only God can keep. So of course the church is the family that only this God could create. Church, this is why grace is so essential to our salvation and to God's great plan of redemption. Everything hangs on these truths that we're talking about today. I want you to imagine your dad sits you down and he says, good news, I paid off all your debt. Uh, your mortgage, student loans, everything, right there, that is a gift of grace. You have not paid your debt, you still owe. <laughs> and you haven't done anything that would require your father or, or obligate him to pay your debt. No, he is doing this as a free gift. And then I want you to imagine you thank him for that. You pull out your wallet, you hand him a $10 bill, and you say, listen, I appreciate this. I'm going to give you $10 a month for the rest of my life, and I am going to pay you back for this if it's the last thing that I do. Did you? That would nullify his gift. It would ruin the entire thing. He doesn't want your $10 a month, and that's not going to pay for what he just covered. He wants to bless you in a way you do not deserve, and that's the whole point. That's what makes this gift so special, and you would rob him of that honor if you give him your $10 a month. Paul is saying, stop that. Put your wallet away. Take your father's free gift. Church, the free gift of this crucified son is the pinnacle of God's entire redemptive plan. The free gift of this crucified son is the solution to the sins of all humanity. The free gift of this crucified son is the only power that can truly conquer our sin. And the free gift of this crucified son puts all of us on an equal footing before God. All of us. Paul's point in this passage is this. Don't resist that. Embrace it. Embrace that gift of grace. And then embrace everyone else who receives his son with you in this way.
whether they're Jews or Gentiles. That right there is the only message that could ever unite this world of raging nations into one spiritual family. If there is any hope of creating a family like this, it has to be a family in which no one can boast. No one can boast about their ethnic heritage. No one can boast about their religious status. No one can boast about their moral record. They have to crucify those things. God has to create this family by justifying all of us into it the exact same way. is by faith in his crucified son. There is no other way in, and there is no other family that he is delivering. 